Well, I'll pick you up there because um, I remember I was in a taxi once and the taxi driver asked me where I was going. I gave him your address and he says, oh, you used to live there with Brian Kennedy. And I went, yeah. And he goes, Brian, the bag ambassador. <laughs> and I went, the bag ambassador? And he says, yeah, the colostomy bags. I, I call him the bag that. ambassador. Yes. And he goes, uh, my nephew does hear him on the uh, on the radio talking about the bags mm. and he lights up because he normalises it for oh. people. So, yeah, so. That's uh, why this is so important. Yeah. Even today, Catherine. Around the world, around the world, in eighty gays, in eighty gays, around the world, around the world, in eighty gays, heroes of our bygone days who fought for freedom and equality. Icons, anthems coming out, pronouns, drag queen struggles, life and love. Around the world, around the world, in eighty gays, around the world, around the world, in eighty gays. Welcome to Around the World in 80 Gays, a podcast hosted by me, Catherine Lynch. And me, Brian Kennedy. Now, each week we talk about gay culture, gay inspirations and gay icons. And Brian name drops every celebrity <laughs> he's ever met and ones he hopes to meet in the future. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there, Catherine, into the universe. <laughs> this is Around the World in, in 80, 80 Gays. Well, if it isn't the two most talented podcast hosts in the whole country here again. <laughs> here we are again. <laughs> in this week's episode of Around the World in 80 Gays, we have managed to secure not one but two of Ireland's hottest talents ladies and gentlemen I'll stop you there okay alright Brian it's us again oh god really <laughs> who turned us down this week <laughs> okay correct because this week we've decided to share my experience uh, of living with cancer let's oh, do that okay we hope that if you're going through the same thing or are supporting a friend undergoing cancer treatment that this episode might offer you some comfort guidance and a few laughs Oh, we do like to laugh, don't we, Brian? Oh, we do. I'm very. I mean, listen. If you didn't laugh, you know what the rest of that sentence is. Um, you know, I I also will share the in the best way that I can because I I want to support anybody out there who's going through what is a really, really, really difficult chapter in their lives. Yeah, and maybe you'll tell us who your gay icons and gay anthems and all those things that powered you through your recovery. Let's get the ball rolling. But uh, like when I just said that, you know, your anthems that might help you through your recovery. Sure, you actually made an album I did I actually made a record called Recovery in yeah. the middle of I was doing a lot of chemo I did six months of chemotherapy and for the first few months you think oh you know chemo it's fine I've got yeah. this it's alright but the thing about chemotherapy is it's accumulative as in the effects are accumulative mm. so by month four I really had, you know, hit rock bottom. It was very difficult to get out of bed. Um, I, it's like profound jet lag from the first thing in the morning to last thing at night. I know, I remember. And there are and there are hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of chemo, ladies and gentlemen, out there. It's not like there's just one kind of chemo. Um, so mine in particular um, meant that certainly all of my, my hair didn't completely fall out, but it just got really wispy and thin, as did my energy. I just had absolutely no energy. So I decided, again, as long as I could stay as close to my singing and the music in my life, as possible then that somehow would mean that I wasn't on the way out you know that's yeah. what I kind of said to myself so I ended up writing a record called Recovery with my producer Billy Farrell and the songs are really you know are all about that there's a song called Don't Look Back there's a song called Child of War which has a double personality wow. it's, it, when I was lying in hospital recovering from the initial nine hour surgery where they they completely removed my rectum you know so I'm lying there like an action man they sew you up right all the way around at the back so you have no rectum anymore Ooh. I know and then yeah. you have to have um, all kinds of plastic surgery and then of course the stomas and when you were having that conversation with yeah. the doctor yeah. that must have been one of the toughest conversations ever for a gay man for yeah. a man yeah. for a human being for 
Like, well, as I said to him at the time, two things happened around that conversation. Uh, I said to him, you know, obviously, you know, things are going to be very different around the entrance. That's where a lot of the pain was. Yeah. He said, Brian, we call it the exit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and there and lies I said, the difference. we call it the entrance, doctor. <laughs> uh, number one. And number two, I also, I remember saying to him, well, isn't it lucky I'm not a big sloppy bottom? I, do, I won't miss that in my life particularly. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> so that means you're a top. <laughs> yeah, I was mostly a top. That's true. Yeah. Oh, I'm, wow. I finally yeah, knew. I, yeah. I can't believe you told uh, me well, on well, a podcast because you've never right told man. me before. <laughs> I think we'll move on. All right. Very swiftly. Back to the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so is there a history of cancer in your family? It turns out there is. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I sort of had heard about because even if, even in your history, Catherine, you know, people really never talked about cancer. No. It was something that was people were sort of nearly ashamed the of. The big C. Back in the day. And if somebody had the big C, you kept it under wraps. But mm. It was nearly an equivalent to some kind of weird sinful behaviour. Yeah, I don't think anyone understood it They properly. understood it. Yeah. So somehow there was that weird thinking that it was somehow synonymous with something bad that you'd done in your life and here you are being punished for it. Yeah. You know, when AIDS first appeared, they called it the gay cancer. You know, yeah. those oh, were the gay, words that yeah. people used, you know. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, it turns out that my mother had two young, two brothers, only in their forties, who both died of cancer, and 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 so it was kind of absolutely rampant in that way in her side of the family. And then my granny on my dad's side, I mean, my God, she, that poor lady got everything. She was like Doc Cotton, but with a Belfast accent, so a permanent cigarette, back combed, huge yeah. hair, and she, so she got everything. <laughs> she got everything in the end, and she got emphysema is actually the thing wow. that killed her. But she had cancer twice and a colostomy bag. Wow. Interestingly enough. Wow, and uh, then your poor brother. Tried yeah. To my eldest brother then, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer 2016. We had been estranged for over 20 years. So when I had heard that he was terminal, I contacted him. He was good enough and his wife were good enough to let me come see him. And what was that like? It was really one of the saddest things I've ever experienced in my entire life. Yeah. You know, to suddenly... um, it's a strange thing. Estrangement is an awful thing, really, because it's it's an awful habit, number one, that mm. becomes an awful habit. And and you can't ever get that time back. You know, if the choices are profound dysfunction and estrangement, I mean, I'll pick estrangement every single time because growing up in, in really profound dysfunction, it's incredibly painful. And isolating. And, and, and just really difficult. So in terms of going out and to find a gay family, one of the first things that I did, I sort of went out and just found another family regardless yeah. of and what they were. who were they? The first ones, were they in London? They were in London. Yeah. They were f- friends of mine. They were completely new people that I met along the way when I was a busker. Yeah. Um, I met all kinds of amazing people. I be- I also got to know Charlotte Coleman in those very early days. Charlotte Coleman? Charlotte Coleman, if you think about the opening scene of um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, yes. Where Hugh Grant is late and he yeah. wakes up and the wee red-haired girl goes, fuck, 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 we're late, we're late. Oh, That's I love Charlotte her. Coleman. I love yeah. her. She was also yeah. one of the kids in... Um, do you remember that? one of that? my favourite actresses. Yeah, she's an amazing actress. And she died, unfortunately, very young of uh, complications to do with... Um, an eating disorder. Yeah. I knew her very well in, in my early 20s and her early 20s. Mm. So she and I spent a lot of time together on the streets of London. And so, yeah, so my life was kind of full of, uh, I, I think one of the, I talked to Brendan Graham about this, the man who wrote You Raise Me Up in Eurovision Classics. Um, he, um, we were talking about the darker gift mm. of uh, estrangement, meaning that within the darkness of being absolutely disconnected from your own birth family, mm-hmm. um, the gift, in a way, the darker gift of that is that it does free you up for other things. So you yeah. don't go home at Christmas, even though that can be tricky. You don't go home for birthdays. You don't celebrate things. You don't go to family weddings. Mm-hmm. And that's also tied in with being gay. 
I think. And do you think, I know people have studied it, do you think there is a connection between all that pain and turmoil and trauma you mm. suffered as a child and cancer? Well, I mean, certainly it's it doesn't make you, I don't think that they're disconnected. No, I don't um, think so I don't either. think they're disconnected at all. Certainly it depends on what you do with it because, yes, I think any kind of illness comes out of trauma, doesn't it? It's not, it's literally, I mean, disease means dis-ease. So you're, yeah. you're not at ease with yourself. And if you spend a long time not at ease with yourself, then you, I think you're prone to illness, depression. Luckily enough, I'm not a depressive person. No, I you're never not. Have been. And I, on, the, on that note, I could not believe as a friend how resilient you are, yeah. how absolutely and utterly in control of your journey you are from the get-go. So I suppose if you were to to give advice to anyone out there, what would you say to them when, when they get that initial diagnosis? Like it's... Um, it, it is a very shocking diagnosis yeah. when you wake up from, in my case, a colonoscopy and the first thing that he said to me was, Brian, you, do, you have cancer, you have a tumour in your rectum. Oh. It's, you just can't believe it, yeah. you know. Um, so I was in shock, you know, and I remember that night I went out with our buddies, Anne and Mary and everybody. Yeah. Do you remember we went to we went 777 yeah. and I had a load of margaritas and I knew that day I had cancer, but I didn't tell anybody. You were really quiet and we were like... I didn't going. tell anybody. I did my best to just try and be part of the group, but Im- immediately you start to separate yourself from reality, yeah. which is you're now about to... Because as you said, I, I'm in control of most things. I got out of the Falls Road alive. I managed to get out of the family relatively mm-hmm. unscathed in a way. And and so I've always had to kind of start over again, no matter what has happened to me. And in if my life. I remember, didn't you? You either sent us a little email or you sent. I did a collective us, email, a and collective I, I email. Yeah, I would suggest people do that. Yeah, and if of course I started to cry and did rang you? you crying. No, you remember, and you told me shut up. You said yeah. I do not need this. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> yeah. cancer puts manners on people, yeah. good and bad. You know, mm-hmm. some people react very well to to their friends becoming ill. Some people fall apart. Some people yeah. actually reject their friends because they don't know what to do. Did you find anyone rejected yeah. you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Some people behaved very badly. I won't name them, but the, some people really, really took my breath away with how badly behaved they were. And those people aren't in my life anymore, you know. So you you have to kind of sit with cancer in my case. And then the lovely Jane, who runs my world, as you know, my my websites and the diary and everything, Jane Blackley. Yeah. I contacted her and said, look, I'm going to do a collective email. So I don't have to end up writing 20 emails. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to write one and copy everybody in and say, and look, copy, yeah. I've had this diagnosis. And I, how I long um, did you feel like that you had or how long did you feel like you had cancer mm. or how long? Was it before you actually went and got your diagnosis? Instinctively, I knew something was wrong. I absolutely knew something was wrong. Um, I'd had all, when I was going to the loo, having a poo, sometimes there'd be blood. Yeah. And I would go to the doctor and they would examine me rectally and I would say, oh, I use that lube as well. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I actually did say that. And so, but he kept reassuring me saying, Brian, it's probably just a wee pile or something. Don't worry yeah. about it. You're of that age. I remember getting checked for, for uh, rectal cancer and for any kind of colon issues yeah. in my early 40s. I, I lived wondered, with you and any time I had anything going on, constipation yeah. or anything, you'd say, I am so regular. Yeah, you were always yeah. really I, healthy. I was actually too regular. <laughs> it turns out I was, especially when I was working out in the gym, yeah. I used to have to go to the loo a lot. Yeah, I was actually um, way too regular. I yeah. always have been since I was a kid, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that, um, I, again, the darker gift of my brother being terminal yeah. was that it really made me push myself further to find out if there was something more sinister going on. So I did. I went to my GP. Um, I insisted on having a colonoscopy. Yeah. And that's when we found the tumour. And then that's when it was a sliding doors moment. Suddenly, 
everything changed. It was like a complete set change of a movie. All yeah. of a sudden there were people in, okay, you have to do an MRI now, you have to do do your blood. So this all happened in one day, you know, and suddenly I'm like, but I thought I'd be going home to have lunch with, a, you know, my mate saying, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm all clear, it's all good. It was the, the opposite. I was not all really clear. Did it feel really lonely? No, no, no? I, don't, I don't, I very rarely feel lonely. Um, cancer is all consuming. Mm. So um, I would say certainly when you suddenly have cancer for company, and I don't mean to sound remotely romantic about that notion but but it's all consuming you know which is why when people say oh he fought a brave battle with cancer i hate yeah, that phrase hate that i phrase, hate it because cancer has all the cards cancer has all the ammunition you have none and then yeah. suddenly then because i'm in, a, in the public eye in a, in a way and then when i decided to go public with it with matt cooper uh, in this very building uh in 2016 was when i was first diagnosed um i I went public because I knew hopefully it would help other people. And to this day, even after hopefully this podcast, if you're listening and any of this sounds familiar to you, please go and get tested. Men are hopeless about getting tested yeah. things compared to women. Women are mostly brilliant at things like that. Well, I'll pick you up there because um, I remember I was in a taxi once and the taxi driver asked me where I was going. I gave him your address and he says, oh, you used to live there with Brian Kennedy. And I went, yeah. And he goes, Brian, the bag ambassador. <laughs> and I went, the bag ambassador? And he says, yeah, the colostomy bags. I, I call him the bag ambassador. Bastard, yes. and he goes. Uh, my nephew does hear him on the uh, on the radio talking about the bags, mm. and he lights up because he normalizes it for oh. people. So yeah, so that's uh, why this is so important yeah. even today, Catherine. I mean, uh, we I, I must say to people who are listening and going bag, like what? Colostomy bag? What? The, the the treatment from my particular rectal cancer, uh, the legacy of it was that they said to me, look, a wonderful, wonderful surgeon called Ian Jenkins, a Scottish man uh, who I got on brilliantly with. So I ended up having to have two stomas. Stomas, stomas a Latin word for whole, literally. And so I literally am replumbed. So my rectum is on the front of my body. Yeah. And also then I do a wee on one side and a poo on the other side on the front of my body. Yeah. So I'm completely replumbed. So I, I wear two bags permanently for the rest of my life. And they, throughout the day they fill up they do their thing I empty them I change them and so it's just part of my life now so that's what we mean by I have a colostomy bag and a urostomy bag people at home Google the bag ambassador it. the bag ambassador Google stomas and you'll see what I mean <laughs> well, it's a radical surgery which you are no nonsense about yeah. because I hang out with you a lot yeah. and I have never noticed you know you don't notice at all yeah. you don't um, you do have the odd and I, I, let's be real about it too there, occasionally there's the odd slip up you know because I'm, I'm, I I gigged all throughout my chemo and all that and sometimes one of them might leak I, I now wear only dark trousers on stage because yeah. sometimes you might just get a little leak here and there exactly. and so I kind of police that fairly fervently you know but um, I've, welcome to the life of a woman yeah well right right exactly so you uh, once a month have to deal with what's going on with you exactly, exactly. so I, I, we have that in common and do you remember Catherine we were marching in pride yeah. with the GAA and you were busting for the loo busting and she was running around of course all the loos were all packed full and she couldn't get near loo and I was like I'm fine the silver lining I can, I'm can. i having a pee as He's we speak a, oh he made me so jealous <laughs> I really wanted to have a stoma just for that day just for that day <laughs> but exactly. I was having my own problems because I had a fibroid pressing on my that's, bladder and I had right. to go to the loo every 15 oh, minutes thing. but anyway that's gone now too but we all have issues don't we we have issues like, and it's important to get a confidence about it. Yeah. Once, here I am now into my sto stoma journey. It's 2022. So it's six years later. Now, Is I had it? the surgery in 2018, oh, so it's only four years later yeah. coming up. But yeah, it takes a while for your body 
to adjust, for your mind to adjust, and for your friends to adjust, exactly. and, and whoever and your family is. And also for your career, Brian. How yeah. did your career survive your cancer journey? Because you you need to be able, you need to be yeah. fit, you need to be yeah. on stage, you need to be there. So that's right. How did you survive financially? It was tricky. Um, I, I won't lie. It was absolutely tricky to suddenly not be able to be out there working, and also I had the wrong insurance. I didn't have the right insurance. I had insurance for my Jeep and my house and all those things, but I didn't have insurance actually for me. (laughs) And so I had to actually fundraise. I mean, my cancer treatment ultimately cost around 100 grand. And I had to. I had friends step in, as you rem- might remember, Paul Byrne, the wonderful Paul Byrne and his wife Siobhan. They put no on a massive, man. incredible man. Yeah. They put on a fundraiser for the night. Matt Cooper was the MC. We yeah. had a, the Coronas play there, the High Kings, all kinds of amazing people. Boy George gave me a beautiful hat that we auctioned for about three grand. Bill Hughes gave us a beautiful painting. Um, it, the, the the love in the room was amazing. I I, I mean, I had lost. I would say probably four stone in weight after the surgery. So I was a skinny little thing. Yeah, you look like you did in the 80s. Yeah. I remember looking at you going, oh my God, that's like an album cover from well, the 80s. Well, funny you said, well, I didn't actually make an album until 1990, can I just tell you that? Oh, yeah. But oh, at the same sorry. time, all those clothes fitted me again. Yeah. But what a way to get back into that wardrobe. No thanks. How do you approach your health now? I approach my health like I always have. I listen to my body. Mm. If there's any changes going on. And as you know, sadly, uh, one of the... Th- we're, I think the thinking is that sometimes a lot of chemotherapy can damage other organs in your body. And in my case, it damaged my heart muscle. And I had a massive heart attack last June. Chapter two, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Like that was the most frightening thing for us, yeah. bunch of friends. Yeah, It was, we had gone through, you know, I'm just talking from a friend's point of view here yeah. for a moment. It was yeah. really upsetting to see you come through all you had come through. Mm. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, our lovely friend. Another email had to go out to my friend saying, I'm sorry, say, but I've actually had a massive I've had a heart quadruple attack. bypass. I had a quadruple bypass yeah. in the end. That's right. Because my heart muscle had been so damaged. You that... say quadruple, I say quadruple. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go the whole thing off. <laughs> Indeed. Well, let's call it on. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was one of those things that just kind of again came out of nowhere. But at the same time, it didn't because I'd been feeling really unwell and very, very tired. I remember I was walking with you. Yeah. I don't know. It was Pride again, I yeah. think. And you had to sit down and I had to get you a Sambuca for yeah. your... for your Heartburn. Heartburn. Right. And yeah. Yeah. That's and we right. never even thought to think that uh, That's it was the heart. thing. There, there's a, a, something going on at the moment where yeah. people are talking about um, the signs for heart trouble, especially mm. in younger men like myself. Yeah. Um, things like heartburn sure it could only be heartburn but please get it checked because it can lead to heart failure to heart attacks I'm not it might, mightn't have been just a spice bag. Could yeah. Have <laughs> I've actually never had a spice bag in my life. Let's have um, one. I do like spicy food. And again, that's the thing. People eat lots of spicy food. You think, oh God, I'm having an issue. It could be an issue. So please pay attention to the signs. I was kind of, I was minding Paul Burns dog for three weeks, the lovely hunter. And I just found it really hard walking up the canal where mm. beforehand, normally I was the person in the group where people would say, Jesus, Brian, slow down. Slow Stop down, walking yeah, so quick. I'd walk into town. Now I'm like, saying... <gasps> Now I'm saying, can you slow down? Because the pace of my life has very definitely changed. So that led to me having quadruple bypass. I was out of hospital after 10 days. My gorgeous, lovely Anne uh, Lermont came and looked after me for two weeks. And then she ended up having her own health difficulty, unfortunately. But it was another setback, a major setback. But again, the darker gift of lockdown was that Mm. I wasn't out in the middle of a tour somewhere. I was actually at home. I live very close to the back of St. James's Hospital. So I walked over with a heart attack to A&E that, yeah. the, in the middle of the night. Clutching your chest. I knew, kind of. I knew something was wrong. I, I had pain all the way down my right hand side. you think it would be on the left, but it wasn't. And I must have looked a bit drunk. I was kind of staggering a little bit and quite out of breath. In quite a bit of pain, but not 
out of control pain. But the minute I got into A&E, that's again... You just it was said like, you're having a heart attack. You and how to, does a heart attack feel? Well, it like, feels, in my case, because mm. it's different for everybody, I, I had a very weird tube of tubular kind of pain going on up and down my right hand oh, so that side. was all that's yeah. it yeah and and nothing on my right hand side no. not none of the cliched ones you hear about about your you know sore shoulder or left mm. arms gone numb or something none of that and so i thought well it can't be my heart it's the right hand side really yeah but of course your heart ladies and gentlemen here's breaking news your heart's actually kind of in the middle yeah it's not on the hard left I know. it's near the uh, close to the jesus middle. has one on the hard left well exactly <laughs> <laughs> Whether, whether religion has a heart is another series for a that's podcast altogether. Series. Let's go with that one. You know, so, so um, all down the right hand side and that's when they did the angiogram and I remember the poor surgeon, so wonderful Sarah Early came in. She said, Brian, your heart muscle is operating at about 30%. So it's a bit like, huh? And I did truthfully say to her, am I going to die? And she goes, no, no. She wasn't like, oh God, no. So I had to be monitored for about three days and then they decided to do quadruple bypass. And then if um, if it wasn't enough, Brian, no, yo. you went home uh, and you got COVID. I got COVID. You got bad COVID. I did. Se- like, I did oh. seven weeks of heart. Um... So, hallelujah, he's alive, he's here, he's alive, he's queer. <laughs> he's queer, he's alive. So anyway, yeah. all right, let's ask a few gay questions. Let's go this for it. This is Around the World in 80 Please, days. let's do it. So it was there a song you returned to during your treatment like or did you go just write your own? I did both. There's a, there's a Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel song called oh, Don't Give Up. I love that, that song. That goes around and around in my mind. I adore Don't that song. Give up, I love that song. you have a friend. That's right. So in that kind of key. thing. <laughs> that kind of thing. And also as you, because I, I'm an artist I then started to write songs like um, Don't Look Back and Child of War and Recovery and those kind of songs. I did both. And do you have a gay icon cancer victim? Like oh no victim is the wrong word. Yeah. Cancer survivor. Yeah. yeah. Um, off, I mean, not really. I mean, you know, cancer is the kind of thing that seems to touch pretty much everybody's yeah. lives, really. Um, I don't really. I, I can't think of a single person. I, I, what's really humbling is if you go into a ward and you sit with an ordinary woman who's travelled from yeah, Donegal. She's having the same chemo as me. She has to get back on the bus, go up and then cook dinner for her four kids. And maybe she's a part time nurse and all that. So I, that's the other reason I want to say is I never really felt that sorry for myself because there was always somebody much worse off than of me. So, so those people were were my kind of cancer heroes, those kind of women and men who were coming and doing that kind of journey. And the real heroes are those who actually lose the battle with it. Yeah, and yeah. they're the ones that have to say goodbye it's a lot with dignity. Look, you know, my, my lovely friend, Danica McGuigan, Barry mm. and Sandra's daughter, she lived in my house. She died within five weeks. You did indeed. Mm. She died within five weeks of diagnosis. She's in the most amazing film. If you get a chance, folks who listen at home, it's called Wildfire. And it was her swan song. She, and Barry she died McGuigan's um, long after that. interview on, on, on The Late Late, uh, that's on the right. The Late Late was just heart They're extraordinary people. So they were a great uh, support for me too. So I know you watched lots of Netflix and oh, yeah. lots of television. Yes. So what did you, what was your favourite thing to watch while you were sick? Oh God, that's a good one. I mean, me and Anne used to watch RuPaul's Drag Race religiously. That. And that really put a smile on and my face. And she'd sneak around to your house. She would come to my house or occasionally I'd go yeah. to hers. We'd make each other margaritas. Yeah. And off and off we'd go. And it was clever by Netflix because they'd only release an episode once a week, every Friday. So we were primed on a Friday. For and those listening, Anne is the greatest friend anyone could ever anyone have. Anyone could ever have. Her and, and Mary Crumlish, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Brian is lucky to have both. Very lucky. Blessed And, and the rest women. that come with them. And yourself, of course, oh, Catherine. Thank you don't very forget. Much. Well, um, yeah, well, I was a bit of a, a, a weeper while you were sick. but yeah. um, And you don't like that. You don't like any attention. What I whatsoever but yeah. um <laughs> look I grew up in the middle of a war I grew up in a very dramatic family really up, we never heard that I before. know I never heard that before <laughs> so unless the drama is absolutely warranted yeah, and helpful exactly. 
Because a lot of times if somebody's having a good old cry and all that, they basically have, have taken over your cancer journey. It's all about them. Yeah. You know, I remember somebody saying to me, you really hurt my feelings. And I said, I remember saying to them, my cancer is not about your feelings. Yeah. It's not about your feelings. So if somebody's overly dramatic with me, yeah, it puts me on edge. So I'd rather not have it. I just want to ask one question. You don't have to answer this. I mean this. Um, what I know you as having a very large sex life. What has your yeah. sex life been like in the last while? It, well, it, all the rules change. You know, everything changes. Like I said, I was never particularly into uh, anal sex, into that side of things. Not really. Never was a big fan of it. So I don't miss that at all. There's nothing to miss, really. Um, let's just say I still have the kind of fun that I always enjoyed. Great. So I'm talking about blowjobs. I'm talking about kissing. I'm talking about, you know, man-on-man contact. I, I love all of that. So that's all still rocking in the free world, hey, let me tell you. <laughs> that's good to know. So on that note, what advice would you give to anyone going through cancer at the moment? I would say, literally, as the song says, one day at a time. Because one day will be different to the next. So one day you'll wake up and you'll feel great. The next day you'll wake up and you'll feel miserable. Depending on also your treatment, your home life situation, whether you're partnered or not, uh, whether you have a connection with a family or not. Um, it all depends on... on. But don't be afraid. I, I had to really learn when to allow myself to reach out to people and say, actually, I do need a bit of help. I can't yeah. get up the stairs. Um, I'm going to need... I remember coming home from the hospital the first time and I'd had to ask my friends to make the bed for me because I it hadn't been made for about 21 days. I'd been away uh, having the surgery. Just really simple things like that. And then mm-hmm. just asking people to be around a to little bit and, and to be near in case I need somebody. And then you just have to relearn. The rules all change. And certainly I lost my independence for a while. I couldn't drive, which I love to do. I'm a real, I love a road trip. But all those things slowly but surely came back. So don't be afraid to be vulnerable. And do you feel stronger after going through it? Yeah, I really do. You know, um, I, it's taught me the value of friendship even more. I thought I knew friendship before, but I know it even more deeply now. And and also just how, how brief life can be. Why on earth are I can name you a load of people in my phone who are now dead from cancer? I'm still alive. I've survived it. And it's the greatest privilege of all, getting older. Thank you very much. And you taught me the value of friendship as well, Brian. Because, Did I? Yeah, because we loved you more when... We saw you ill and yeah, that's that's a good thing. Too. Well, it's, it's a lovely thing to have friends like you around yeah. when when the going gets that tough. And um, yeah, it's great to have a friendship like that. Absolutely. I, I do value it. And that's one of the reasons why I think we're doing a podcast together, yeah. because it made us realise, God, we've actually other things going on in our lives that we can connect with and talking about these subjects. It's incredibly important Incredible. around the world in 80 gays. So it's a privilege to talk about it, really. And if anybody's listening at home, again, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to go to your GP. And even if the GP doesn't work out. In my case, it didn't work out. I, I pushed it further. Get a second opinion. Go to the hospital. Don't be afraid to do these Listen things. Listen to your body. Yeah, because the sooner you catch something like cancer, the, the more easily it is to be cured in lots of cases. Well, hey! Well, that's it now from us for another while. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all that, Brian. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> don't be so sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here we are at the end of another Around the World in 80 Gays and the diagnosis is we were amazing. Oh, I think we might need a second opinion. <laughs> no, no, no. We were incredible. <laughs> Take a Radio. From me. OK. Hey, thanks as always to you. Yes, you for listening and joining us on a trip, another trip around the world in 80 Gays. Make sure you follow us on all our socials for the latest updates. And if you enjoyed our chat, please rate and review wherever you listen. Now, before we leave you, each week we like to end with an inspirational quote from an LGBTQ IA plus legend. And this week, Catherine Lynch, it's over to you. It's Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> really? It's Tim Cook. So, <laughs> so let me be clear. I'm proud to be gay and I consider being gay among the greatest gifts God has given me. Tim Cook, head of Apple. Well, fair play to him. <laughs> yeah, the apple doesn't fall <laughs> far from the tree. His dad <laughs> gay was gay tree. as well. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, thanks for your company as always, Catherine. As always. What a, what a treat. Great to talk to you and thanks for all those questions. Bye, everybody. See Bye. you next time. Bye. Around the world in 80, 80 gays. gays.